And we're back. It's episode three. Super Bowl 55 is all set. We get Chiefs and Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady beating Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for the NFC title. And Patrick Mahomes taking down a really fun Bills team. That that uh, that Bills team is a lot of fun to watch. Josh Allen, multi-talented quarterback. He's uh, going to be a lot of fun to watch for uh, sometime uh, in the future here. So uh, looking forward to see what we get out of the Bills next year. I'm sure they'll be back and, re- and ready for more. Uh, but we'll see what we get out of the Super Bowl. I don't want to spend too much time on the Super Bowl because we're still in a week, still a week and a half away. Plenty of time to break down, dissect. You know, there's a reason I, I hate these two weeks, right? Not just because there's nothing really going on in the world of sports, especially in we're still in a COVID pandemic, but there, there's just so so much you can say about. There's only so much you can say about one game, and granted, it's it's the biggest game of the entire football season, but it's still one game. And there's only so much you can say. There's only so many points you can make for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time. So I generally stay away from Super Bowl conversation until we get into a first in the into the in the couple days leading up to the game, right? We still have practices to go through. You never know what sort of injuries might pop up in practice. Guy pulls a hamstring, sprains an ankle real bad, and now he's out. So we don't we won't know that until Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leading up to the game. I also want to see how the betting market shakes out. I, I think this is an interesting dynamic with uh, the the home game. There will be some fans in the stadium. I looked at StubHub last night, um, and tickets were going for no less than $7,200, $7,300. So I'm not exactly sure how many fans are going to be in attendance. It's something I, I probably could look up. Um, I don't care, really. But uh, there will be fans in attendance. And even though it won't be like a, a true Super Bowl atmosphere, I'm, I'm curious to see how much of a true road game this is for the Chiefs heading down to Tampa to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, we'll touch on that plus a lot more with my old friend Ben Heisler. Uh, he and I went to college t- uh, together. He got me started in college radio down at IU, and we'll talk to him about the Super Bowl, the rest of the NFL, the Bears, the Cubs, a little bit of Indiana thrown in there as well. Uh, he's he's really involved, actually, in Sports Illustrated as their um, gambling and fantasy sports editor, blogger, podcaster, you name it. He, he does it there uh, for Sports Illustrated. So really excited to talk to Ben. It's a really fun conversation uh, with Ben. And then um, something that uh, that interests me, uh, if you know me, is horse racing and the, the whole sport of horse racing. Uh, a really fun conversation with my dad and my uncle Tim, uh, one of my dad's brothers. They both separately are involved in racehorse ownership, um, and we'll talk about the sport of horse racing, kind of where it stands, especially here in Illinois, uh, and what it's like to be a horse owner. Even though you know both of them are are not principal owners, but they do have an ownership stake in racehorses and we'll talk about that experience uh, as well uh, don't want to spend too much time on the Super Bowl before we jump into that conversation here with Ben uh, but today January 26th marks one year since Kobe Bryant's tragic passing away in a helicopter crash in California um, wait it's one of those moments where I remember exactly where I was uh, when I found out the news I was in actually in the middle of, of refing a, uh, a feeder basketball set, and 
uh, couldn't believe what I was reading. Uh, I saw, I think it might have been a CNN notification that popped up on my phone and immediately checked Twitter, at, you know, during the three-minute halftime, try to find out as much as I could. And, um, you know, frankly, I probably could admit that my mind necessarily for that next half of basketball wasn't on the game at hand. Uh, just wondering what was going on with, with Kobe. Um, thought and was hoping it was another one of those Twitter hoaxes and, you know, how many times has, has Twitter killed somebody when they are very much still alive? So I was hoping that was the case, but, you know, as we learned later on in the day that that was unfortunately not the case. And um, just the way that Kobe was memorialized and um, and remembered over the next, uh, well, it's been a whole year now, and we're still getting almost daily remembrances of Kobe Bryant just because of how impactful he was in the world of basketball. Um, I think a couple, it was a couple days after the the helicopter crash I was at um, uh, a basketball game that I wrapped and before the varsity game that night they actually had a moment of silence for Kobe and I, I thought that was significant because you know Kobe played his entire career with the Los Angeles Lakers and here we are in suburban Chicago and we're holding a moment of silence for uh, for Kobe Bryant he never played for the Bulls he didn't grow up here but he was a, a transcendent bigger than life individual in the game of basketball you know, I grew up in suburban Chicago in the early to mid-90s, and Michael Jordan was the guy. And then there was Kobe. And to me, Kobe was almost identical to Michael Jordan. Same frame, same build, maybe a little bit skinnier, but, um, you know, really, really saw a lot of Michael in Kobe. And the way he, the way he played the game, five championship rings, just a, an amazing career, and by all accounts, a better person, a better father, just uh, uh, an amazing individual. And to this day, I have to remind myself when I see pictures of Kobe, video of Kobe, that, yeah, he's he's not with us anymore. And just how, how tragic and sad that is. So one year since uh, Kobe Bryant passed away, uh, it's, uh, one of those basketball players, one of those athletes you'll just you'll just never forget uh, for, for most of the right reasons. Obviously, there were some you know, uh, moments in his life that were, um, uh, unsightly, but you know, the, the greater picture is that he was this amazing basketball player and an amazing father to his daughters and just an athlete that we'll never forget. Okay. Let's jump into some football conversation and much more with Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated. Fake it and then go right there or back to the flat. Here's Mahomes. Look at underhand and he throws it for the touchdown. How about that throw? Little underhand touchdown passes that I get credit for and I did nothing. Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call on CBS as the Chiefs take down the Bills to win the AFC. And we'll get Nance and Romo again actually as CBS has the Super Bowl this year. Chiefs and Buccaneers and uh, here to touch on that uh, among a host of other things. Uh, Kansas City via Chicago's own Ben Heisler. What's up, Ben? How are you, man? What's up, Brady? It's good to catch up with you. It's been a you know a handful of years since the two of us last spoke, but I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. And yeah, I, I feel like ever since I arrived in Kansas City, just good things have been happening here in the sports world. I moved here in 2014. Royals go to the World Series. They're back the following year. I help out the Kansas City Nation being a Bears fan as they take uh, Mitchell Trubisky, likely <laughs> having Patrick Mahomes fall to them at pick number 10 as they trade up. So I feel like I've really done some good, some positive work here in the community over the last several years. It's really becoming title town isn't it i mean royals <laughs> chiefs i mean 
look out Green Bay. That's right. And and uh, before I got here, Sporting Kansas City, the MLS squad, uh, had won a championship as well. And they had had about three, four different guys on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, I, they're in a bit of a sort of a teardown now. Their longtime captain, uh, who is a Kansas City native, is moved on. I think he's with like FC Austin or something. But that's about all the soccer that I know. So yeah, at some point, it's going to be dark in, in Kansas City after all the winning that they've been doing. But um, <laughs> especially knowing that you have Mahomes here for the next, you know, 15 something years. Yeah, what's that like? It's... <laughs> It's twofold because I'm a Bears fan living in Kansas City. So my, my wife is from here. You know, the, the good friends that I've made along the way are, are most of them are Kansas City natives. So I take a lot of shit. <laughs> I take a lot of shit for my team uh, taking the, the worst of all the different quarterbacks. And so while it's exciting to know that locally um, this, this man is an absolute legend and he continues to do things that just – uh, have your jaw drop on a week by week level. Uh, it is also incredibly discouraging thinking to yourself that that guy could have been on my team and yeah. that guy could have been an absolute golden God in Chicago, as opposed to Kansas city, but it seemed to work itself out at least uh, according to the locals here. Here's the thing though. And we'll get to the bears at the back end of this conversation here, but um, I, I'm not sure that, the bears would have been able to take advantage of Patrick Mahomes talent just because they're the Chicago bears. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky does some good things. They've failed to really build around him and, and give him the ultimate chance to win. I'm not sure they would have done the same with Pat Mahomes. I get, I, and I've heard that argument before. And I think there's some truth to it, knowing that Andy, like, like all the places, all the pieces were in place, right? When, when they drafted him. So you had Alex Smith, he was coming off, uh, you know, a really solid season goes in as a pro ball type season, um, you know, in his final year in Kansas city before they move him to Washington and Mahomes gets to sit behind him. Um, you know, he's talked about in, in a lot of the documentaries going over his, you know, recovery from his injury about wanting to be, you know, the, the consummate professional and a good teammate. Um, so you have that, you have zero pressure from Mahomes coming in on, on year one where he can just truly take in everything and it sets up well. They have so many different offensive weapons. They have a good system. They have a good scheme. Everything does line up well. At the same time, I also think about Deshaun Watson, who has gotten absolutely nothing in Houston and has still turned out to be magnificent. So while I'd like to think that, you know, uh, if Pat Mahomes were a Chicago Bear and not the other way around, would he probably have the same type of success that he'd be having in Kansas city? No, I, I think everything was set up a little bit more succinctly, but do I think that he would have been ruined? It, it would take a lot in my opinion, based on everything that I've seen uh, to ruin that type of guy's talent. So yeah, Mitch has, Mitch has shown some flashes, but ultimately the same mistakes continue to prolong him yep. and, and the guys that have gotten better uh, have worked through those mistakes and changed and adapted. And we just never saw that out of Trubisky. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like the Bears are definitely moving on from Mitch. So that's uh, we'll see where they go. Um, first day, first game of the day yesterday, Packers and Bucks. Um, Packers came in as three point favorites. I thought it was a slam dunk. And boy, was I wrong. You weren't the only one. Uh, there was a lot of really sharp money initially on Green Bay to the point where it moved that line. Um, to three and a half. And I was one of those people that jumped on Green Bay at minus three. I loved Aaron Rodgers at home. 
Uh, and I kind of had been looking at the Bucks as sort of a ticking time bomb, knowing that there was a bit of smoke and mirrors in the month of December. I, I, I had talked about this multiple times, Brady, that I felt like Tom Brady could re-solidify his narrative uh, heading into the postseason because November, remember, things were a mess. They were inconsistent on offense. They had just gotten blown up by the Saints. And, you know, you have two games against Atlanta, Minnesota, and Detroit. It's going to make every offense look really good. We saw that with the Bears the final stretch of the season when they were playing bums. And they've continued uh, a willingness to make key plays and their defense. I, I mean, I, I, a lot of the storyline is going to be about Tom Brady going back for his 10th Super Bowl, but without the defense showing up the way they did against Drew Brees on the road, and then again against Aaron Rodgers, they're not in the spot. Tom Brady threw three interceptions in the second half of the game on Sunday. They were begging Green Bay to come back, and the defense stood them up. They stood up the MVP of the season. So I think that's the bigger story here is the remarkable turnaround of the Bucks' pass game defense. They've been great against the run all year, but they were picked on early on in the season. And Sean Murphy Bunting uh, was the guy that got picked on a lot, especially when he was trying to cover in the slot. But he's been terrific, and he's been a turnover machine uh, over the last couple of weeks. And the Bucks' defense has been what's carried them to this point. It hasn't been the offense. The offense has dealt with some injuries. They've had some other concerns. It's been the defense, and that's the, the pretty remarkable turnaround. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Where do we think that stands? How do you think this ultimately plays out? Is, has has Rodgers uh, played his last down in Green Bay, or, or are we sticking it out some more? God, I hope so. Right. Just from a, a you know, personal standpoint, yeah. watching him wreck Chicago year after year, I, I would love to see him find a new home. I'd love for that new home to be uh, a little bit further south. I think it would be a magnificent FU move to Green Bay to, to <laughs> head would. on to Chicago. Um, you know, Brett Favre played for the Vikings like it's it can happen. It's been done. Ultimately, I, I think this gets resolved. They just the, the type of PR mess that they would have to move him after this type of a season where he had maybe statistically his best season as a pro. I think the coaching staff does everything they can to try and resolve the situation, even if it means not being able to trade him uh, at his absolute peak value. I, I've seen some potential reports that maybe the Saints would be interested or, or the 49ers so that he could come back home. He's actually put up some pretty crappy numbers in San Francisco. So I don't even know if that's going to be, you know, a likely case, but you know, with Matthew Stafford on the move with Patrick Mahomes or not Patrick Mahomes with Aaron Rodgers on the move, uh, perhaps Deshaun Watson. I, I can't recall a quarterback carousel like this. And then Dak Prescott's a free agent too. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. could have some remarkable changes at the position heading into the 2021 season that I don't think a lot of people saw coming, but uh, if, if I had to choose, if I if you were doing the gun to my head scenario uh, where I had to make some sort of a determination as to where Aaron Rodgers plays next year. Um, I, I think this gets resolved in green Bay um, at least for, for another season. But if I had to pick another team where he would go to, I think the 49ers would probably be the team that would make a lot of sense. Green Bay is definitely testing his patience and his loyalty for sure. Uh, second game of the day, the one I'm sure you were most interested in there in Kansas City, Chiefs and Bills. Uh, Bills came out fire and they're up 9 nothing, and then I blinked and it was 21-9. to yeah, that, the Chiefs will do that. Uh, I was at the game last year in the divisional round against the Houston Texans. And uh, as I recall, uh, Bill O'Brien did not win a game since they blew a 24-0 lead in the first half and ended up losing by about 20-something points uh, after they gave up, I think, a 50-burger to Kansas City in that game. Might have been a little bit less. They can just 
get on you in a hurry. And there's just so much speed everywhere you look. I mean, Sammy Watkins, I don't know if you can say that he's been a great signing in Kansas City. He's helped them win a Super Bowl, and he's been terrific in the playoffs. He's averaged about 93 yards per reception, but they didn't have him available. They didn't have Le'Veon Bell, who they had brought in to back up Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So Daryl Williams stepped up. But there's just so much speed everywhere. And you have Mahomes who can extend plays. You have Travis Kelsey, who's the best tight end in football. And then you have Tyreek Hill. You have McCole Hardman. And there's just, I don't know how you find ways to be able to slow those guys down, especially when the blocking is good and their blocking has been good. Now they're going to miss Eric Fisher for the Super Bowl after he dealt with an Achilles injury and their offensive line is still a little bit banked up. So that plus Mahomes dealing with a bit of a turf toe could be a fascinating element as to what they try to do and scheme up. But there's just, I, I just don't know how you guard anybody because Hill is going to go nuts. You remember he had 200 yards in the first quarter the last time Kansas city and Tampa Bay played and Travis Kelsey broke the all time record for receiving yards from a tight end. Um, his over under is probably going to be at a hundred yards and maybe nine and a half catches. Like that's insane. So they're fascinating. There's still some wrinkles to this team. Um, you know, they never seem to, to get off to, to really strong starts. I know they did against Cleveland, but they let the Browns hang around. Um, and they hadn't won a game Brady by double digits. Uh, this is the best team in football. Uh, 14 and two straight up to end the season. Remember one of those losses was in week 17 against the chargers where they played all their backups, right? They had not won a game best team in football had won a game by double digits since week eight against the New York jets. So for anybody that was betting on Kansas city throughout the second half, you were losing your bets because the far better team wasn't winning by enough points. They got it done, but they didn't get it done in a, in a particularly pretty fashion. Uh, but now that they're at the Super Bowl, where they've been trying to run it back all season long, I have to think that the mindset is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, and th- and that's why I, I I did play the Bills yesterday at plus three because uh, exactly that point. The the Chiefs had been terrible against the number for most of the year, and I'm glad you segued there. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with Sports Illustrated. Um, it's fantasy gambling. What what have you got going? It's been a really, really fun last handful of months. They brought me on for sort of a variety of roles to uh, be the editor on the fantasy and gambling side, to also write content, host podcasts, uh, produce, host videos, sort of be a jack of all trades for the fantasy and gambling verticals. And it's, it's been so much fun just to be able to start right at the, uh, you know, the couple months leading into football season, knowing that there were still going to be a season uh, and planning to have a season even in the midst of, of the pandemic. So uh, we also brought in Michael Fabiano, who used to be at NFL Network, the Fantasy Football Hall of Famer. So his content's been terrific all year. Um, we dive in every day with different NBA content. There's NHL DFS content as well. Uh, we'll have plenty during the baseball season as well. And then, of course, during football football season uh anywhere between you know six to eight articles every day including three to four fantasy gambling podcasts uh there was plenty of content to go around and uh, (laughs) our guys hustle and and the the really fun part too uh that we added and it's part of the the si premium feature is our si gambling insider uh frankie tadeo has done everything when it comes to working in Vegas. He's worked for the books. Um, He's worked for for companies that have been involved uh, on the sports book side. Uh, He's worked for a company that created a lot of their own models. And now we're we're fortunate enough to have him with us. He's absolutely connected with uh, some of the the largest and most profitable sports bettors um, in Las Vegas. And he's built up a relationship over 20 plus years uh, with different sportsbook directors and operators and some of these high profile sports bettors. 
and that we're able to relay a lot of that information directly back to our premium subscribers. He is not a tout. He is merely taking a lot of those information based off of his relationships and then being able to provide them in our Discord chat. So let's say you're trying to figure out who you want to play for the Super Bowl. Well, if you're an SI Pro subscriber, um, you're getting the picks of where people are betting upwards of you know twenty five to fifty thousand dollars, fifty to one hundred thousand dollars out in Vegas, uh, because those are the established connections that that Frankie has made. So it's a lot of fun. It's a great conversation, and, and that's a lot of what we do as well. It's trying to further the conversation and help people that are either just starting off in sports betting and fantasy, uh, or have been doing it for a long time, improve, get better, and, and also just become a little bit more aware uh, of how the industry works. Yeah, and I'm in that beginner boat, Ben. I don't, I don't know if you followed the Illinois um, sports gambling stuff over the past year or so. Um, it was, I don't know, maybe it was, I think it was right when baseball season was starting back up. I got a random email from FanDuel saying I had $50 in my FanDuel account to play with. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't remember ever even signing up for a FanDuel <laughs> right. account. Um, and I think my dad had signed up and somehow I might have got referred but anyway, um, I've been playing around with that house money for, you know, making small bets um, for this entire uh, baseball and football season. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a horse racing guy. That, that's what I that's my game. Um, I'm just learning how to how to bet on sports. And it's so different from horse racing, obviously. Um, well, I, I guess in a sense. Right. I mean, it, it, football or uh, betting on sports, I, I would imagine a lot of your own research comes into play whereas in horse racing they give you a book all the past performances are in there and you make your decision right absolutely and, and i'm glad that you brought up the you're a horse racing guy because that's also our, our guy frankie's a big horse racing guy and he does a race to the week column every week over at si gambling this week uh it was the, i think the pegasus open uh the pegasus uh, over from, world cup yes yes the pegasus world cup i, I apologize at uh at fairgrounds uh Gulfstream. i believe um, Gulfstream. Okay. Yeah. Fairgrounds was, was the week before. Yes. Um, that was a derby for, for prep race. Yes. Yes. So I, I mean, I should, I should defer to you here. <laughs> um, so, so there, there's always content each and every week and, uh, that's fun. It, especially trying to determine too, like how to, how to do a part wheel. That's something that I learned this year. Cause I always just thought like, all right, I'm just going to pick a horse to win and horse to place and maybe do an exacta and, uh, you know, fool around with the trifecta box once in a while, but his, his in-depth, content is great and he's got a full model that's been really successful um you know they hit this year uh back i think at the traverse stakes um uh, on a superfecta at 443 to one wow so that was uh that was an exciting time for a lot of the members that had been uh, tailing his picks throughout the course of the year it's so funny that we we touched on horse racing for a couple minutes there randomly like i wasn't planning on bringing up horse racing with you at all um just to pull back the well, curtain. We'll, we'll have to get we'll have to get you uh, into the chat, Stefan, because yeah. uh, this is an area that uh, I think we could always use a little bit more voices on. And uh, I know that our community is, is eager to get more involved in the racing scene because Frankie's been his model's been terrific. So I, I'd love to gain your perspective. So definitely, yeah. let's talk after the pod about making making sure that we can try and get you involved in this. For sure, yeah. So um, you're, you're going to lead the podcast here. Your, your segment's going to lead the podcast. My second segment is actually my dad and my uncle 
um, just within the last few years have both um, on their own gotten into racehorse ownership. And I, I had them on together to talk about their experience and uh, some problems within the within the industry. So uh, that that's so funny that it worked out that way. Yeah, um, that's that, that that's awesome. And, and we one of our contacts uh, uh, is a uh, he's a trainer over at I think it's called Windstar Farms mm-hmm, yeah. in in Louisville. And so that's that was somebody one. that was helping out with the, a lot of our picks and a lot of our breakdowns as well and it's it's a fascinating area and definitely something that I, i'm looking forward to to learning a lot more one one thing when i first started editing uh, frankie's horse racing pieces is that he's he writes them as if you know about everything that's been happening over the last several years so <laughs> right. he was talking about he was talking about one horse and he said you know this son of uncle mo and i'm like Uncle Mo, like, who are you you talking about? Like, whose son? Like, why are we talking about the horse's parents? And and like, that's common vernacular when it comes to horse racing analysis. It's like all of this stuff I I was learning on the fly, but I always, we always give him a hard time about Uncle Mo. Uncle Mo was always leading the field. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I would imagine that the parallels with sports betting and, and horse racing, there's so many angles you can take, right? And you can, you and I could have a completely different view on a game and we could both make sense. And yes. it's the same thing with horse racing, right? If you look at a form, everybody's looking at the same form, but I might like the one horse for this reason and you might like the five horse for that reason. And we're both right. It's just a matter of how it's going to play out on the track. Right. Right, exactly. And you're also trying to determine, you know, whether the odds are going to be a little bit more favorable or you're worried that, you know, too much of the public money is going to come in on that horse and screw up the odds for everybody. I've always also found it interesting that, you know, you can go ahead and and make a lot of these different picks um, knowing what the odds are, but that could change at any point. It's not like sports betting where you lock in your odds. You know that if I'm taking a team at minus five, those are the odds. Or if you're taking a money line payout at plus 150, that's the play the entire time. You know, right. with horse racing, that can change at any point. Yeah, that's why you see that guy running to the window with one minute to post trying to get a bet in because a horse that uh, that maybe he thought should be two to one is actually six to one. And, you know, that's that's a great play for him. Uh, let's move on because I could talk about horse racing forever. Um, <laughs> you and I come from the same university. In fact, uh, it's so funny. Um, the the first podcast I did uh, just a few weeks ago, I had Carmen on, Mark Carmen, and I, I oh I Marky said, Mark, <laughs> I said I was taking it back to my roots because he was the one who gave me a shot in Chicago radio, and and actually Ben, you're you're the first one who put me on the air ever back at at Indiana University. Um, I remember vividly my first radio assignment was pregame and halftime for an IU football game and running the board for for the guys at the stadium and that that was my first ever on air this is my first ever radio thing and you put me right on the air uh, as the sports director at at WIUX so uh, I know that you were closely following the IU football season uh, what what would what would you make or what did you make I should say you know what did you make big picture of that of that entire season I think I looked at it from, from a couple different standpoints. The first was I, the Penn state game was looking like it was going to be sort of your, your traditional way of Indiana um, just finding a way to screw it up. And the opposite happened and they found a way to tie it up and force overtime. And then Tom Allen has the stones to, to go for it. And that iconic shot of Michael Penix reaching across the goal line. It was just every, it was so anti-Indiana football. You still had the excitement factor um, where every year, you know, they're going to be involved in games that, you know, maybe they probably shouldn't win, but they find a way to screw it up. And just, it changed this year. 
And then the Rutgers game happened. Now they always find a way to, to blow it against Rutgers. They didn't do it th- this year. Michigan, you know, God, Michigan, they, they found so many ways to screw that up. Uh, Michigan State, they shut them out. Like, and all of a sudden, like, you're starting to think, okay, this could be something. And I found it remarkable, too, that everything that could have gone wrong for them, they somehow turned it into something positive. Now, they still found a way to, to blow it at the end against Ole Miss. And, you know, Ole Miss was missing like four or five different starters at that point. And it was the first time all year, Brady, that Indiana, who I have lost incomparable amounts of money betting on in the past, <laughs> they covered in every game except the bowl game when they were, I think, nine-point favorites yep. uh, against an Ole Miss team that was four and five. So I'm a believer in Tom Allen. I, I think it's a very solid indication that you lost your your offensive coordinator to a full-time head coaching job. You lost your defensive coordinator to a, a full-time head coaching job. Like you're you're getting your staff plucked, and that's a sign of progress. And they're also promoting from within and, and doing a really good job. So I'm fascinated to see what that team will look like next year. I love the fact that that Ty Freifogel is coming back. That's a big time receiver that had some some monster games over the course of the year. Um you know, and I, and I still think that there's a very high ceiling on Jack Tuttle, who came in for Penix uh, after he went down. I thought his moxie against Wisconsin was really impressive. Um, and, and this is somebody that still it's their highest recruit at the quarterback position, I think, that they've ever had. So yeah, he was an Elite 11 guy with uh, with Trevor Lawrence and with uh, Justin Fields, right? Exactly. And and that's somebody that, that I believe in. And I know that initially they're probably going to go back to Penix next year. Um, but I mean, well, that's assuming health to... though. I mean, there we're, we're talking a good nine months, 10 months. It'll be, you know, post-surgery once September I think so rolls too. around. And, 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 and he's still somebody that, you know, once, once he started moving around a little bit uh, against Penn state, that's when things really started to open and click for him, but he doesn't, I don't think he likes to, to run if he doesn't have to. And I think the, the injury history might play a role in that. Uh, but I remember, I think it was the game against, Maryland where he ended up getting hurt, but he was just the accuracy issues. Like all of a sudden started to come up, but he's somebody that I absolutely root for and want to see the the best for him. I think he came out with 14 to one Heisman odds over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So people believe in Indiana now, and it's just such a a stark turnaround from when we were there and we were celebrating, uh, you know, getting the bucket game against Purdue to make it to the, make it to the insight bowl. It's just a, a dramatic turnaround for a program that is just really deserving uh, of finally getting some good and hopefully sustained success. And so, yes, um, I'm a buyer in, in what Tom Allen is saying, because I, I actually think he's, uh, and you can tell me if you disagree, Brady, I, I think he's like actually authentic. I, I think you get a lot of yeah. bullshit from a lot of college coaches. I, I think they're always trying to sell you something. I think Tom Allen is selling you on himself. He's just an intense quirky guy. And it's, clearly evident that his players love him yeah and that's absolutely yeah it was a pj fleck right up in minnesota right row 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 the boat or something like that like all that gimmicky shit right Mm -hmm. yeah i don't get that from tom allen i mean if you want to call the leo and the one word stuff a gimmick okay but um yeah you're right his players love him they showed as much after the wisconsin game when he was interviewed on the field and they're coming up behind him and that was <laughs> awesome openly yes. openly pitching to recruits to come play for this man so um you know i i, I talked with uh, do you know galen clavio from iu yes very much so yeah the yeah doc. yeah so I, I talked with galen a few weeks ago and um 
we were talking about just the trajectory of the program and and where it goes from here. And and yeah, he he thought the same thing. It, it was it was very much a net positive. Um, and I just I just hope it's not a fluke. I just hope they're able to capitalize on the success. You know, you mentioned losing the the OC and the DC, um, but you know the the man at the top is is authentic and real and hopefully here to stay. I, I'd be stunned if he decided to leave and go elsewhere. I mean, this is this is home for him. He's clearly built up a, a culture that he wants to be a part of. And also, he's gotten paid fairly handsomely. Now, it's a different athletic director than, you know, who hired him. And he was a, a Fred Glass guy all the way. But, you know, all indications are that there's no reason why Tom Allen would want to leave unless uh, he was being toyed around with. Um, and, and I know, too, that he didn't appreciate... Um, how the Big Ten handled Indiana over the course of this year, kind of just feeding them to the wolves and yeah. really letting them hang out to dry and, and giving everything just uh, to Ohio State on the silver platters. But I don't think that necessarily, like, if he goes to an SEC team, you know, you don't think they're going to do that, that for Alabama or for LSU, and those <laughs> positions aren't going to be available anytime soon. Right, right. Quirky year for college football, indeed. Uh, let's just hope that our Hoosiers are, I mean, they, they open the season as it stands now, they open with Iowa, I think at Iowa too. So that's, that's a tough test right out the gate. Yes. Um, and you know that Iowa is going to be one of those teams that just tries to run it down your throat. They're going to have really good tight end play. And uh, Indiana is going to be losing some guys on the defensive side of the ball too. But I, I think they'll probably be, well, I don't know if they'll be favored if it's at Iowa, but they're expected to be a you know, preseason top 12, top 13 team next year. That's, that's impressive from, from an IU football program. On the basketball side of things, though, Ben, I know um, you had mentioned you hadn't watched a ton of IU basketball, but, man, um, coming off that, that Iowa win, you know, we, we kind of thought maybe it was a turning point. I don't know, though. I, I'm, I'm not buying into Archie Miller, and we're four years in. that we're, we're in panic mode here. I don't know if I'm necessarily in panic mode, but the way that I evaluate what I've seen from Indiana is that they're, they never seem to to be able to take that next step and sustain it for a period of time. They, they have done well against top teams. Like think about all the times that they beat Michigan state when, when the Spartans were far superior teams, I think Archie swept them a couple of years ago. You, you saw them, you know, be able to handle Iowa in the second half when they want to be, they can be a really good defensive team, but they can also go ice cold and Archie's system is It's just, Here's what I honestly think. I, I just don't think they're a fun team to watch. And uh, say what you want about Tom Crean, but those teams were fun. Yep. And they went up and down the court, and, and those guys had some just tremendous athletes. And then everyone was complaining, well, they don't play any defense. So they brought in a defensive-minded guy, and then they'll go six, seven minutes without scoring. Every game. So, yes. And, and, I mean, there, there's good dudes on that team. Like, I, I, I think Thompson is somebody that I'm certainly intrigued by. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is somebody that I, you know, I'd like to see him use his other hand a little bit more, but he's clearly battling um, and just putting up some really solid numbers as well. You have Franklin, you have Fantasy as well. Um, but you know, Jackson Davis keeps saying, like, just wait until we play our, our best game and you'll see how good of a team we can be. We're waiting. Well, <laughs> you saw it against Iowa, and then you just, you have that bad loss against Rutgers at home. Um, and now, obviously, you got the, the postponement against Michigan, which is a nice little blessing in disguise. Uh, and then you're home against Illinois on, on Tuesday the 2nd. And then Iowa, back at Assembly Hall, they're going to be out for blood. 
that's a nationally televised game. It's just, it's been such a weird year. And I know that it's a pandemic and you try to approach that as far as rooting for your teams and just sort of understanding the current state of every sport. But it is just immensely frustrating knowing that this is a team that could be very solid, especially with the veteran leadership that they have and they still can't put together any sort of consistency it's definitely a bad year to be mediocre in the big 10 because this league yes. is a gauntlet uh ben we're just a, a couple months away from uh spring training baseball we think um i don't know if you saw the uh the arizona um i guess you could call them a consortium of spring training sites but they're they're asking major league baseball to consider postponing or at least delaying the start of spring training but uh, our favorite team, the Chicago Cubs, seem to be rebuilding, I think. We don't really know for sure. I'm, I mean, I guess we do, but they haven't come out and said it. No. And it's frustrating because it's a winnable division. Um, you know, their big offseason signing has been Austin Romine um, to, you know, play the Victor Caratini role. Um, he hit 238 with two home runs and 17 RBI for the uh, Tigers last year. And uh, meanwhile, you've moved on. You've traded uh, you Darvish for a bunch of single A guys that may not be in the majors they're, for years, let alone we don't even know if they're going to make it to the majors. Um, John Lester is gone. Uh, he's, you know, I think the Cubs could have gotten him, given him a couple million dollars to, to keep that type of veteran. And uh, they still felt like that wasn't going to be around. They don't have any velocity in their rotation at this point like your your top starters right now are kyle hendricks and alec mills Uh, there's there's concern if you're trying to figure out what's going to be happening with chicago now so they have some solid players in their lineup ian Happ took a really nice positive step in the right direction last year um i I think chris bryant could be in line for a big year uh knowing that he's probably not going to be around for much longer um wilson Contreras, anthony like javier buys like there's still guys in this lineup that uh, that can mash if everything starts to click, but you know it's kind of like Indiana. You know, there's talent, but then they'll just go stretches, especially late in the season, where they just cannot hit, and you're left thinking, I don't understand. There's there's so much talent, and these guys are approaching it bats the right way, and they just go completely ice cold. Um, so I, I don't mind that they needed to make some changes and not keep everybody around, but. Um, the thing that really frustrates me the most is the element of, of the Ricketts family just basically saying we're, we're not going to spend a dime. Um, this is an organization that already went through a massive teardown and rebuild. Um, they're still charging the most amount per, for tickets yeah. in all of Major League Baseball. It's just, I, I think the fans are, are really starting to get ripped off a little bit. And also, you know, it doesn't help that. Meanwhile, on the on the south side of town, that's a team that's going to be your high-level team for the next several years. The White Sox have rebuilt uh, the right way. Now, they screwed up on the manager. Um, I, I think that's a disaster waiting to happen in Tony La Russa. It might work for a year, but after that, um, it, it could be all downhill. It's not reflective of the type of team that they have built. But it's it's frustrating to be a Cub fan right now, considering that they didn't live up to you know what could have been the makings of a real powerhouse uh, for a long time, and they just couldn't execute when it came to the postseason. Well, I, th- I think the beginning of the end of this whole thing, uh, and you can you can agree or disagree, the Jose Quintana trade was the beginning of the end for me. <sighs> That's a really interesting point. Um, I But I also liked the trade a lot. I got why they had to give up Eloy in the process, um, but Quintana was 
you know, a number one, number two lefty uh, that was controllable at a very reasonable salary for like the next three years. And it just, just didn't work out. He was, you know, very inconsistent throughout the course of his time in Chicago. And now he's got a, I think a one-year prove-it deal with, uh, with the angels yep. this off season, but that's, uh, you know, I mean, that timeline, it, it's hard to me, it's hard to fault them for that because they were in their window and this wasn't a one-year rental to give up a guy like Eloy. Uh, you got a legit top of the rotation starter. It just didn't pitch like one. And so it, it, it's hard for me to really, you know, fault them for that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a, certainly a, a point made with a lot of hindsight there, but just uh, that was like the tip of the uh, the uh, you know the the top of the waterfall, and then just uh, move after move that didn't work out. And um, uh, Theo might have seen the writing on the wall a little bit when he got out of town, and all of a sudden he's working for Major League Baseball. How about that? I'm excited for that. By the way, I've been you know in, in a lot of different conversations, especially in, in the sports betting world. Uh, Major League Baseball needs somebody like Theo Epstein to try and help them get out of their own way. They're they're not doing a good job, Brady, of of getting younger audiences involved. And I think one way you can actually do that is to sort of embrace the the sports betting culture and the fantasy culture, and know that that could be a key demographic of your audience. Uh, build up through that. Find ways to make every pitch. Uh, meaningful. And you can do that if you're able to live bet games and predict whether or not this guy's going to strike out or if he's going to, if the pitcher is going to throw a ball or a strike, there's, there's so many different elements that you can add to make the sport more exciting. Um, And I think Theo is, you know, he recognizes that. So I'm fascinated to see what he's going to be able to do uh, to help try to grow the game from from a younger level because i think that's also something that he's very passionate about are cubs games blacked out in in uh, in kansas city because it seems like the cubs are blacked out across the entire midwest uh, <laughs> i i mean i don't know if i'm necessarily going to be all into to get the uh the mlb package <laughs> right. again on, on mlb tv but uh, I will also say this: Len Casper's been 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 a friend for a while, and uh, while I was certainly disappointed uh, that he was leaving the Cubs TV booth to to go and do radio, and it's hard to fault him. It's, a, it's an absolute passion of his. But uh, they signed an absolute star in in John Shambi and Book Shambi. I'm very excited for what that broadcast will sound like. I even tweeted out um, the moment that that news broke that John that that Book should be their first call, and uh, turned out that it was. I don't yeah. know if it was his first, but he ended up being the call that mattered the most. So uh, at least the broadcasts uh, will be very entertaining this year. Entertaining, yes, yes, no doubt. And and hey, on a uh, on a clear uh, night in Kansas City, you could probably pick up six seventy. I'll bet. Yeah, it, it's popped up a few times uh, in my car driving around. I, I've, I've messed with it a, a handful of times, but again, when you when you have the package uh, and you can stream it on your phone. Uh, sometimes you just go for that extra clear signal. There you go. There you go. All right, last thing before I let you get out of here. I know you got a young son at home. So um, the Bears, where do you stand on Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy? Obviously, we know we're in for a new quarterback here in Chicago. What, what's, what's your take on the uh, on the overall direction of the franchise here? I, I was a believer in, in Matt Nagy, too. And I still wonder if he had the quarterback that he wanted, that he truly believed in. Uh, how much better this offense would look. Um, I, I, I still also have gotten immensely frustrated with his stubbornness and inability to adapt until it's basically too late. And then I also look at, at, at Ryan Pace. It's, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I, I think transparency in, in sports 
is important. It was something that I admired about the Cubs in the midst of when Theo and Jed took over, that they told you everything that they were going to do. They didn't hide anything. Um, and then they went out and they did it. And it was easy to say, okay, this plan is working. This plan isn't. And if media wanted to talk to them, they made themselves available. It really bothers me that, that Ryan Pace, for having one winning season in, in the six years that he's been in Chicago, basically chooses two times a year at the beginning and end of the season um, to talk to the media. Uh, to me, and, and he never answers any questions. It's always dancing around it. And I, I'm just, I'm sick of the act. I, I'm sick of his stubbornness of not going out of their way to do their full homework uh, based on the Chicago Tribune reporting about Deshaun Watson, like Mitchell Trubisky. He had the blinders on from day one and it's cost him. And now he's going to get an opportunity to try and, and put a, a Band-Aid over uh, a bleeding wound um, that could be a pretty serious wound, knowing that they're going to do whatever they can to try and protect their jobs. Like, they can mortgage the future after they already did that with the, the Khalil Mack trade. And I just don't know what their direction is. They've been in football hell the last couple of years. They backed into the playoffs. And it, here's the other thing, Brady, that that, that stood out to me. The postseason, everybody tried to sell you in Chicago about, you know, our, we're, we collaborate really well. Our culture is really good. You know, uh, we had a six game losing streak, but our guys, you know, they stayed motivated and they fought back and they got into the playoffs. You know what I heard the other day in, in Kansas City's press conference on their way to the Super Bowl was both Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes talking about how they haven't played their best football yet. Like they're going to back-to-back -back Super Bowls. They won the Super Bowl. Mahomes is an MVP. He's a Super Bowl MVP. And their focus isn't, you know, we collaborate well. Their focus is we need to get better even though we're going to back-to-back -back Super Bowls. And that just kind of tells you everything that you need to know. Your entire mindset, your perspective is completely different. That is not the perspective of a winning franchise in Chicago when you're talking about collaborating and having a good vibe in the locker room and in the organization. Your perspective should be, how do we win championships? And that, that's just been missing for a long time. So I, I like, um, I was about to say, I like George Hallis. I, I like George McCaskey. I, I think he cares. I, I think he wants to win, but I also am not sure if he knows how to do it. And I think the loyalty for, for Ted Phillips, for, Ryan Pace and, and just sort of buying into what they're selling has clouded a lot of judgment at Hallis Hall. And I just don't know when things are going to change anytime soon. Yeah, that's that's one thing we know about the Hallis and McCaskey family is just their loyalty is is their undoing. And you said it, uh, Ted Phillips and Ryan Pace have been here a long time with mediocre at best results so we'll we'll see what happens and and, and you know to, to sort of that point you know think about with the bulls it, it took john paxson going to um jerry and michael reinsdorf saying i don't think i'm the right person for the job anymore and that sort of forced them to say okay now we need to bring in an actual president of basketball operations they did an extensive search um and they brought in arturnus karnashovas who's starting to look with him and mark eversley like they're, they have a plan in place. Like that, that's something that's very clear now with the Bulls. Like before they didn't really have a plan, plan kept changing. They have an actual plan and direction now. And you can't really say that about the Bears. The Bears is, they're just sort of hoping to stay afloat or things are just magically going to get fixed because they believe in the people. And, and maybe they go out and they play really well the following year. But uh, I haven't seen any sort of indication that 
um, the team that's supposed to be taking these steps in the direction with the quarterback that they were supposed to be developing. I mean, and, and I know I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, Brady, but do you remember um, after the 2018 season, uh, Matt Nagy said at training camp, you know, that Mitchell Trubisky is now at like quarterback 2.2 or, yes. or, or 202. He was at quarterback 101 in the first year and it had a really solid year. The bears did well. The defense was unbelievable. Um, you know, now he's in, now he's at, you know, course two Oh two and he got worse and then he regressed even more the yep. following year. So what, what exactly was happening along the way? Like where were, where was that actual progression? So everybody has ownership in this. And, you know, if, if you're supposedly buying into Matt Nagy's offense, but his offense was the detriment of, of your team, I, I just don't know whether or not keeping him around along with the rest of the organization makes a lot of sense. I am, I am rooting for him because I do think he's a good dude. And I do think he comes from a system that is the future of what NFL offenses are supposed to look like, but man, like you gotta be able to adapt. And, and maybe we saw a little bit of adaptation towards the second half of the season last year. Well, we'll see what happens in the NFL draft. You know, I, I think their, their needs are greater than available assets, if that makes sense. So we'll see what they choose to address. Um, you know, offensive line, quarterback, uh, secondary. I mean, Eddie Jackson took a major step back after getting yeah. paid. So we'll we'll see what they decide to do. Um, ben, this was a blast, man. Let's uh, let's do this again soon. Absolutely, except for any time. Appreciate you having me on. his hands and Nick's go continues to roll on the top end into the stretch drive on top by three with an eighth of a mile more to get here's Jesus's team down the center trying to make a late impression with Independence Hall final 16th of a mile it's all about Nick's go Nick's go makes it four in a row a Breeders Cup a Pegasus World Cup and a slam dunk he won by two and a half second was Jesus's team third was Independence Hall then it was Sleepy Eyes Todd and Code of Honor in 147 and four. NBC Sports and Nick's Go winning the Pegasus World Cup this past weekend down at Gulfstream Park in Florida, a, a signature event in a sport that's near and dear to my heart and uh, my two special guests as well. And we'll get into why that is. Uh, joining me to talk a little horse racing. Not, not much on the calendar coming up besides derby preps, but uh, we'll talk about the sport in general and uh, and horse race, uh, racehorse ownership, I should say. Um, it's my dad and my uncle, Tim. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Brady. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, before we jump into uh, racehorse ownership, because both of you guys are involved in that, um, and I'll start, I'll start with you, dad. Um, what, what, what drove your interest in the sport of horse racing? Well, I was working out at Arlington park in the guest services department and, uh, getting to meet a lot of people on both sides of the fence, so to speak. Uh, of course, working every day with our guests, teaching wagering and teaching them about the sport of horse racing so that they had a better understanding of what it, what was actually involved. And um, over time, I was asked many, many, many questions about horses and trainers and the whole process. Uh, at the same time, I was mingling with colleagues who had dabbled in the sport from an ownership perspective. 
And uh, I, I guess uh, about my third season out at Arlington, one of my buddies said, uh, if you're serious about getting in, there may be an opportunity for you to join our group. And um, long story short, I joined a group. I was the sixth of six guys in on uh, a single horse. I was a small percentage owner and uh, it grew from there. Um, since that time, I have been a small percentage owner on, I think it's six horses. And, uh, and Tim, of all the brothers, I think you were the most likely to be at Arlington Park on a Friday afternoon, right? <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> so so how, how did your interest in, in the sport itself come about? Because, I mean, uh, I, where, where I grew up in, in Rolling Meadows, we were five minutes from the racetrack, so we were there quite often. Um, how, how did you get attracted to horse racing? Yeah, uh, the, the very first time I went to Arlington Park was in the 80s. And when I didn't know anything about horse racing, I was fascinated by the sport. But uh, lo and behold, I made a $2 trifecta bet. I hit it straight up without knowing what I was doing. <laughs> won a couple hundred bucks and was instantly uh, hooked on horse racing. I can't imagine why. <laughs> so it's easy. Easy money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they were all that easy. Um, so if, if I have the timeline right, um, your ownership interests came after my dad. So what... Uh, was it my dad's getting involved? What what inspired you to get involved with ownership? Yeah, absolutely. It was something that um, I, I've talked about for, for 10, 15 years, something I always wanted to do, but quite honestly, I always thought it was a pipe dream and didn't expect to get into it. And then lo and behold, my brother Kenny got involved and learned about buying percentages of horses and uh, started talking about it with a few other buddies and they expressed an interest and we jumped in a little over two years ago. Now, for both of you, um, what was what was the conversation with the wife like? <laughs> well, for me, it was easy because um, I, I would like to have a dog, but I can't have a dog. <laughs> and so I said to my wife, I fool you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy into a horse. Uh, the conversation was, was, uh, it was fine. She was fine. She was excited. She, she loves going to Arlington park as much as I do. And, uh, for different reasons, she likes to people watch and have a beverage and I like to gamble. So, um, <laughs> as long as I don't interfere with her activity and she doesn't interfere with mine, it's a great relationship. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, over time, uh, she's really uh, grown into the sport, and uh, we've met some terrific people and uh, formed some lifelong friendships, and so it's all good. And Tim, I would say mine. Mine was similar. Um, I was. Uh, I did this the year that my oldest son was going into college, so I expected some pushback because <laughs> it wasn't uh, great timing from that regard. But she she really supported and and just like. Um, just like uh, your mom, uh, my wife, Lee, has, has loved every minute of it. And uh, we talk about adding horses, and she's all for it. So she's on board. There you go. There, you go. Yeah, Dad, I, I remember when uh, when you bought Gorgeous George or bought into Gorgeous George, 
um, Ann and I were, were at a Wolves game that, that night, and uh, you called me. Uh, it was between periods. We were at the bar having a, a beer between periods, and you said, are, are you sitting down? I was like, yeah. He's like, I bought a racehorse. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, what, yeah. uh, fr- from both of your perspective, n- not necessarily from an ownership perspective, but just a, just a, a racing fan perspective, what, uh, what would you say is the biggest problem facing the industry right now? And specifically, I guess here in Illinois. Well, um, the biggest problem we have is that tracks all around the country derive their funding for purse money from casino gambling. Um, And in Illinois, although we could have casino gambling at a racetrack, and it's possible, in fact, it's it's coming to fruition at Hawthorne, um, as long as tracks in Illinois do not support their purse fund with casino money, the purses remain small. And as a horseman, as a horse owner, um, it's all about how much money can I collect when my horse wins? And, and that boils down to what's the purse? And uh, if the purse is small, then the profit is small. And if the purse is large, then potentially the profit is large. So if you're a horseman and you have a horse that can compete, you're going to take that horse to a racetrack where the purses are large. And uh, if that means racing in Kentucky or Ohio or Arkansas or Texas or Florida, as opposed to Illinois, then that's what you do. And so go ahead, dad. So the biggest challenge really is how to, uh, fund purses to attract the bigger barns and to keep horsemen in Illinois. And Tim, I, I would imagine that's um, you know a large reason why uh, your horses have raced outside of Illinois as, as much as they have in Illinois. Yeah, the the uncertainty of Arlington Park right now is really uh, you know unfortunately we 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 got into this literally two two years ago. I think it was January 2019. And since then, you know, all the news on Arlington has been pretty much negative. And so, yeah, we got into this. Uh, that first summer was great. We could go out to Arlington. We could go out to the backstretch. We can go see the horses train in the morning and go see them anytime we wanted to. And last year, you know, to see a lot, to see one of our horses race in person, it was a road trip to Kentucky or Arkansas. So uh, that, that's really been a downside and, uh, you know, still to be resolved. I don't have a good feeling that it's going to, work out the way I wanted to, but, uh, you know, it's never over till it's over. I was just, uh, talking with a coworker today, actually. He, he thought Arlington was already closed. I was like, no, 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 we've, we've got dates this year. So, uh, ho- hopefully they'll, uh, they'll allow fans in the building there at Arlington. Uh, despite all the negativity, uh, for both of you, uh, it would, this has produced some, 
some pretty thrilling moments. And, Dad, I would imagine yours sounds like this. As they come for the top of the stretch, or as he comes for the top of the stretch, he being Nashville, all alone as he turns for home, a 10, a 12-length lead, back to the rest. You've got Wild West to the inside in the second position. Cajun Brother has lost ground. Relentless Dancer moves up from the outside. Little Menace charges up the rail to third, but it's Nashville on past the 16th pole, six lengths to the good, back to Wild West. Nashville under no stress whatsoever, winning it. Takes the Perryville for Ricardo Santana Jr. Wild West was home second, and then it was Little Menace up for third, followed by Bango in one minute. 7.89 seconds. Simply incredible. Never asked for a thing. Nashville track record. So that was a it was a very exciting race. First of all, uh, we knew that Nashville was uh, a dominant horse. We really thought that uh, to beat him would take uh, somewhat of a miracle. Um, we never ever uh, hope for the worst. Um, for our horse or any other horse, but uh, uh, jockeys make mistakes, and sometimes horses get trapped behind other horses and can't quite get the break coming out of a turn or heading down the home stretch that they thought they would get. But uh, Nashville was a front runner and uh, a speed horse. We knew that that uh, that Wild West had some capability, but we weren't quite sure. Uh, to what extent he might compete with a horse like Nashville. And we were very, very excited, very impressed. Mitchell Murrow rode that day and did a fabulous job of getting him in a scoring position and keeping him um, as close to Nashville as he possibly could. Um, and there again, um, purse money was the draw. I mean, you, you you dream of the day when you could have a horse running in Kentucky on the bigger race days. Uh, so to be at the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland Racetrack on Breeders' Cup Day um, was just a phenomenal experience. And, uh, and, and Wild West made it all that much more worthwhile by coming in second and, and earning a piece of that uh, $125,000 purse. <laughs> that always helps. And uh, and Tim, I would imagine yours sounds like this. Three furlongs to go and leading with the rail is Super Wonder Girl. Ashley's new shoes right there for Jose Valdivia Jr. And here she comes to take on toward the inside. Super Wonder Girl with quality to spare being ridden with the whip. Mo Buckets has dropped back toward the inside. Flower House has the white cap there into the stretch. And it's Super Wonder Girl who leads for Edgar Perez the half mile in 44.95 seconds. She's finding Super Wonder Girl. Leads Ashley New Shoes by five past the 16th. Running on on the outside is Nursini, now second. Then to the rail is Claudia Despair. It's Super Wonder Girl. She gets the result one by five. Yeah, we, um, that, that was a day I'll never forget. We had a lot of family and friends there. Um, I, I, can't, I think that was her fourth or fifth race and uh, didn't have huge expectations, but when she, she, she won that, that race going away, um, there's a picture that my daughter captured where the only horse you can see is Super Wonder Girl because she won by four or five lengths. So, yeah, just a day I'll never forget. Uh, that's about the only way I can describe it, especially doing it at Arlington Park, the track I grew up at. The home track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know, you know, no matter what percentage you own of a given horse, um, and even for me, I'm not involved at all, but it still feels like um, 
still feels like a massive win when when the horse does win. That, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, that was one, one thing that, uh, like, uh, again, until Kenny did it, I, I didn't know about owning, owning uh, percentages and whether you own 5, 10, or 75, it's, it's still the, the thrill is still the same. So uh, it's been a lot of fun for us. Speaking of uh, of Wild West, Dad, I I feel like we should mention West because he's kind of was he like the driving force behind getting involved with the racehorse, sort of, or at least had a a small part in it. Well, yeah, he had a small part in it, I guess. Um, West and I met when I was working at the racetrack. I was working at the Arlington University main campus, where guests were encouraged to just simply walk up and ask a question and learn about the sport. And so here I am on a, a Friday afternoon, just working the counter. And here comes this guy that I'd never seen before. Didn't know his name. We start a conversation and, and uh, he places a couple bets and it was no big deal. And, and uh, a week goes by and the next Friday there he is again. And, uh, the, the longer version of this story is that we would put as, as Arlington university professors, we would put our picks for the upcoming race on the whiteboard behind us. And then people would come up and say, Oh, you, you like the six, you like the five, you like the seven. Why do you, what do you like about that horse? Well, on this particular day, there were six or seven professors who had predicted the outcome of the upcoming race. And people were picking like the four horse or the three horse or the seven horse. I had picked the eight horse to win the race and I was the only one to pick the eight horse to win. And of the four horses that each of us selected to perform well in the race, I was the only one who picked the eight horse in any of their four horses. And so Wes says, what do you, what do you like about the eight horse? And I said, you know, uh, I made that pick three days ago, you know, things change. Um, Nothing has changed about that horse, but I, I'm not sure that if I were handicapping this race today in this moment that I would pick that same horse. He said, well, I'm going to bet it. And I said, no, I, I don't think I would if I was you. He says, no, I'm going to bet it. You pick it, I, I'm going to bet it. Well, he did. He, he put 20 across on this horse <laughs> that went off at you know eight to one odds or something. And lo and behold, the horse wins the race. <laughs> So he, he over $400 and I get a nice tip and a friend for life. Uh, <laughs> and he, you know, in subsequent visits to the racetrack, we, we continued to talk and he said, you know, I mentioned that, you know, someday I might like to, to be an owner. And he said, well, if you ever do that, here's my phone number. You give me a call. And I didn't know this man from, from anyone. I mean, he's, he's, he's your age, Brady. I mean, he's, he's 34, 35 years old and, and, uh, uh, he could be my son for that matter. And, 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 you know, I don't know him. And he's like, here's my phone number. Give me a call. So when the opportunity came to get in on gorgeous George, I called him and said, uh, Hey, I'm making good on my promise to call you. Are you in? He said, yeah, how much, where do I send the check? So, <laughs> um, he wrote a check. I wrote a check and, uh, we became partners and, uh, he became one of the six and we've been together. We're still together. Uh, and wild West is uh, a horse that 
that our group purchased at auction and had the opportunity to name the horse. And uh, we wanted to call it Wild Wild West, which is what we call the human West. <laughs> we call him Wild Wild West. And uh, the jockey club said, no, you can't have Wild Wild West, but you can have Wild West. So that's what we did. And uh, so we jokingly refer to Wild West as Wes's horse, and um, <clears throat> he uh, he currently resides in North Carolina, so I don't get to see him very much. But we talk frequently, and of course, whenever one of the horses is racing, we're uh, we're either on the phone or we're texting back and forth and and watching. Yeah, and uh, and Tim, it's um some of your your neighborhood buddies from the old Desplaines house, right? That make up this group. Yeah, that's that's been one of the things that's been uh, been great about this whole adventure is that I, I I have four partners and it's four guys that I've known since kindergarten, so uh, it's really kind of brought us back together. We we were always still friends, still kept in touch, but now we're you know now we're texting and talking on a weekly basis and getting together for races and traveling to Kentucky and so yeah, it's really been it's really been great in that regard. Awesome. What uh, what would you guys say might be um, a, a public misconception about horse racing or racehorse ownership. Public misconception. Hmm. Well, for me, I'll answer that, Ken, while you're thinking. For me, it's just that you don't have to, you know, the, um, it's always been referred to as uh, the sport of kings. Mm -hmm. But you can buy as little as 5% of a horse. So you can get in without a huge investment. Uh, you know, obviously... Buying a horse is one thing, and then you have uh, you know the daily or monthly fees, and that's a whole you know you got you got to feed them, you got to train them, uh, and all that. So there is there is two components, but but you can get into the sport uh, from an ownership standpoint without you know without mortgaging your house. So that's I guess that's my uh, for me that answer your question. Yeah, uh, absolutely right, Tim. Um, and one of the things I learned when I was uh, tour director out at Arlington Park, taking people around, including uh, taking people on the back stretch, is uh, people don't really have a clear understanding of how well horses are treated in the industry. Um, there, there's this perhaps misperception that uh, it's all about um, getting the horse to do what it's not really uh interested in doing and um and that the horses you know in between races maybe they aren't cared for as well as as uh you would hope but that's just not been my experience my experience is just the opposite um the the, the folks that i associate with d poolis is, is the trainer of the horses that i'm uh, part owner of, and uh, I have never met a more caring and compassionate person who always, always sides with the health and safety of the horse. And uh, if if we make a suggestion of an upcoming race and it's just not the right time or it's not a, a surface that's that's uh, you know in the horse's wheelhouse. She will say no. She'll simply say, no, we're not going to enter that race. Uh, I've got my eyes on this other race and she'll explain why. And 
I'll tell you what, it, you can't argue with her because she is on top of the game and she, she knows what it is that she's, um, what she's got in the barn and, and the best way to prepare those horses for what they do. Um, you know, at, in Illinois, we deal with all kinds of weather, uh, from very, very hot, humid weather to very, very cold weather. And, you know, at Hawthorne, horses race in the, you know, sometimes in a snowstorm. Um, out at Arlington in the middle of the summer, it can be 95 degrees and 95% and humidity. Um, but racetracks, trainers, uh, they take great care of the horses. And the, uh, the workers, the grooms, the handlers, the hot walkers, they treat those animals as if they were their own children. It's, it's amazing. And uh, can't, can't say enough about how well our horses are taken care of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we're gonna take we're gonna take winning the Kentucky Derby off of this this uh, this plate here. But um, a bucket list item in the sport of horse racing. What do you guys got? Wow, the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> <laughs> That's too easy. I'm not letting you off with that. Uh, I um, I tell you, we, we just bought our we bought into our third horse a couple of weeks ago. And there's nothing more exciting than having an unraced two-year-old because uh, the, the, the possibilities are endless. And uh, so I, I don't know that I have a particular race. So I, I can't say that one of our horses has already won at Churchill Downs. And, and I was just tickled to be there that day just to be, have, just to say, hey, I have a horse racing at Churchill Downs. And then she went out and won. And, uh, and it was just an unbelievable experience. So I don't know that I can say I have a... a um, a particular goal other than, you know, I, I think, I think if I can ever get to the, uh, Kenny came in second in a stakes race, we haven't run in a stakes race. So I guess I would say that winning any kind of a stake race of any kind would probably uh, be the bucket list for me. Yeah. Winning a graded stakes. That's, that's, you know, first you, you, you just want to win. You just want to win a race uh, with gorgeous George. Uh, he was our one and only horse early on in this whole adventure and uh he would race and then it would be three weeks before he raced again and then another three weeks would go by and he the first three races he ran although he finished in the money he didn't win and we were like oh this is never we want we want to be in the winner circle we want to get a picture with our horse and and when it finally happened oh man you can't, you, you just can't understand how exciting that is uh, unless you're living it. Um, we were fortunate because after George won that first race, then he won the next one. And a couple races later, he won again. And, uh, and then there was a second horse and that horse won. And now I've got so many winner's circle pictures, I don't have any place to put them. Um, but winning a graded stakes would be phenomenal. Um, and then winning, you know, some of the headline races, you know, Kentucky Derby, of course, you know, Belmont Stakes, of course, but the chances of having a horse that good and, and that well prepared and, and for everything to go right is, is such a needle in a haystack. But, uh, there are many big races, you know, we entered George in the 
in the claiming crown one year in Florida. And that would have been a great, you know, success had he performed well. Um, we uh, have taken horses to the Forgo Stakes in uh, in Florence, Kentucky, at Turfway Park. And uh, you know, anytime you win, especially in the stakes, you know, then you you end up with pictures and great memories and new friends. And uh, I guess if there was one thing I would like to to uh, achieve before I get out of this for whatever reason is I'd like to have my own silks and I'd like for people to recognize my silks and, uh, and be able to say, you know, I'm the principal owner of that horse and that horse won a race and I'm a proud horse papa. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, uh, at Christmas time, dad, you, you mentioned you hadn't seen Seabiscuit. Have you, have you seen Seabiscuit? Both Owen and I were shocked that you hadn't seen it. We d- we did watch it. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> we rented it finally. And, uh, Tim, could you believe yeah, that this, this guy hadn't seen Seabiscuit? It's been out I'm, for I'm, fifteen years. That blows my mind. I own that movie. <laughs> I could have loaned it to you. <laughs> Oh man! All right, guys. Well, hey, this was fun. Uh, we'll we'll get together again, and maybe we'll ha- we'll handicap a big race or something like that. But uh, uh, thanks for uh, being the first uh, three way conversation here on uh, on and we're back. Well, thanks, well, thanks for having, having us, Brady. Well, that's a wrap on episode three of And We're Back. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Really fun conversations with Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated and then my dad and my uncle Tim on the world of horse racing and racehorse ownership. Uh, coming up next week, this seems like it's a weekly thing, uh, this this new podcast. So coming up next week, uh, we'll take a closer look at Super Bowl 55. Uh, I, I want to break down the game and then talk about the gambling aspect, and I think they're two separate things. So... Uh, We'll do that next week on And We're Back. Have a great week. 